Well, good evening, friends, and welcome to our service this evening as we meet to worship God. We're going to begin our praise of God by singing from Psalm 87 in the Scottish Psalter. Psalm 87, and we're going to sing verse. We're going to sing the whole of this psalm to God's praise. Upon the hills of holiness, He His foundation sets. God more than Jacob's dwellings all delights in Zion's gates. Psalm 87. Let's stand and sing praise to God. Bow our heads as we call on God's name in prayer. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Lord, we praise you t- this evening for your word that we've been singing already. 
that we will come to read and will come to study. We thank you that even these words that we've been uttering remind us, Lord, that you have a record, you have a register of your people. Uh, that is, Lord, a book of life. And Jesus told his disciples to rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And Lord, we marvel at that thought. That there could be, that our names could be recorded there. That we are that we are enrolled in heaven. Even as children are enrolled in school, which means that they are expected there. Lord, how wonderful to contemplate that we, your people, are expected in heaven. That they're awaiting our arrival there. And so we pray, Lord, that we would live as those whose names are written in heaven. That we would have an eternal dimension to our lives. That we would realize, Lord, that this world, and remember that this world is not at home. We're we're just passing through it. And Lord, that that would change everything. The psalmist, in another psalm, when he was troubled by seeing the wicked prosper and the righteous struggle, he tells us that when he went into the sanctuary, everything changed. His view, his outlook changed because he understood, Lord. He understood the end of the wicked. He understood that they were on a slippery place. And Lord, we pray if we have understood that, if you have opened our eyes as we were thinking about this morning and we've seen and understood our precarious situation and our great need, and if we have come to put our trust in Jesus, that we would be alert, Lord, to the precarious situation of those around us who are as yet outside of Jesus. Help us, Lord, to share Christ with them. Help us to tell the marvel, the wonder, the good news of the gospel, that he died in our place. And we pray, Lord, that you would bless us even as we meet this evening around your word, that you, Lord, would be among us, that you'd bless this congregation eh, and all within it. We pray for the interim moderator, that you would help Malcolm in his responsibilities. We pray for the office bearers, Lord, that you would be with them. We pray for the members and for the adherents, and Lord, that you would help them all, and that you would use them, Lord, for your glory in this place. And Lord, that they would be able to use the gifts that you have given them to serve one another in Jesus' name and to serve this community in which you've placed them. And we pray, Lord, that you would be encouraging them as a congregation. And even as we see on the notices that a a communion coming up, Lord, we pray that that time of communion around the Lord's Supper will be a means of building up, a means of encouragement. We pray, Lord, that if there are any who are trusting the Lord and who as yet have not professed his name, that they will be enabled to do so over that weekend. Bless John Angus as he prepares and as he comes in a fortnight's time eh, to preach among them here. And Lord, use him for your glory. We pray for any who may be struggling this evening with whatever it might be, trouble in their homes, problems among their families, Situations that are difficult at work. All these things are that can weigh us down, that can distract us when we come to church, that can keep us awake during the night. Lord, we pray that we would be able to cast all these cares and anxieties 
on you because that is what you instruct us to do and that is what you tell us to do. And Lord, we may have to do it repeatedly. We know that when we bring everything to you in prayer, we, we, we get a sense, Lord, of relief, of having handed these things over. And yet so often the burden returns and we need to take it to you again. Help us to learn to keep on doing that. Bless, Lord, the young people of the congregation. We thank you for seeing so many young children and babies in church this morning. We pray for those who are teenagers. Uh, we rejoice to see them here with us this evening. We pray your blessing on them, Lord, at a different stage in their lives when they begin to make their own decisions. And as they move away from home, we think of those who are students, Lord, who are away studying at university. We pray your blessing on them. We pray your protection over them, Lord. And we pray that as they find their feet in life, that they would put you first, that they would find a church that they would be be part of and belong to, where they would be fed and nurtured, and where they would grow, Lord, in their faith. Bless your word to ourselves this evening. Speak through it, we pray, Lord. It is a living word. Uh, And it is a word that we may have read these passages many times before. But we pray that this evening this book would come alive to us. Or we would come alive to it. Because it's us that are dead. It's us, Lord, that need to be roused by you. So we pray that you would rouse us this evening. And speak to us uh, through the Bible. Bless the denomination that we belong to, Lord, with all its many needs. We pray for all the vacant congregations within it. We pray that you would provide for them. We pray for our students studying at ETS. We ask that you would help them, Lord, and prepare them and equip them eh, for a life of service. And we pray to you, the Lord of the harvest, that you would send laborers into your vineyard, that you would call men into ministry, Lord. And that you would prepare them and you would equip them. So be with us then. Be with us in all that we seek to do. Be with every such gathering this evening, Lord. Near and far. Be among your people where they meet. As you have promised to be. And speak through us. Through your word. Cleansing us from sin. Taking away from us all that is offensive to you. Anything that would grieve your Holy Spirit. Or cause him to withdraw from us. May you take it away this evening. And may we see Jesus only. We ask all these things with the cleansing and the forgiveness of our sins. In his name. Amen. We're going to sing again. This time we're singing from Psalm 32. Sing Psalm's version of Psalm 32. And we're singing from the beginning down to the verse marked 7 of that psalm. How blessed the one who has received forgiveness for his sin whose sins are covered from God's face, whose debt is cancelled in God's grace. There's no deceit in him. Psalm 32, sing Psalm's version. We're singing verses 1 to 7.
going to read God's word now from the Old Testament and from the prophecy of Isaiah and in chapter 40. We're going to read the whole of this chapter. Chapter 40. It begins a, a new section in the prophecy of Isaiah. It's really the second half of Isaiah. It's a very different theme between the first half and the second half. So chapter 40 begins the second half of Isaiah. So let's hear God's word. <clears throat> comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry, and I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? And marked off the heavens with a span, and closed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. And are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God, <clears throat> or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it. And a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? <clears throat> it is he who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. It stretches out the heavens like a curtain. And spreads them like a tent to dwell in. Who brings princes to nothing. And makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted. 
scarcely sown. Scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Amen. This is God's word, and we trust and we pray that he'll follow it with his blessing. Before we study some verses from that passage, we're going to sing again. This time from Psalm 65 and the Scottish Psalter. Psalm 65, we're going to sing from the beginning down to the end of the double verse marked 5. Praise waits for thee in Zion, Lord, to thee vows paid shall be. O thou that hear our art of prayer, all flesh shall come to thee. Psalm 65, verses 1 to 5, to God's praise.
asking God's help, <clears throat> can we turn back to the passage that we read together in the prophecy of Isaiah in chapter 40? Just want to read the opening words of that chapter again, verses 1 and into 2. Isaiah 40 at the beginning. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Do you ever think that God doesn't care for you? Are there times when life is so tough and when the blows are so hard? Do you really question God's goodness? That was the case with God's people who are being addressed here in Isaiah chapter 40. They were depressed. They were dejected. They were disillusioned. Let me read you from verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, saying, My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. They felt that God was ignoring them. That God had forgotten them. Now isn't it great that the Bible deals with situations like that? Because there will be times on your Christian journey when you at least begin to think like that. When you are tempted to question the goodness of God. The, the hardships that you face can cause you to feel forgotten. The unanswered prayers make you feel like God has disregarded you. Like the Israelites felt at this point in their history. There are empty seats in many of our churches that used to be occupied by people who got discouraged by the troubles that life brought and who came to the conclusion that God no longer cared. But the beauty of Scripture is that it never dodges these issues. In fact, it raises them and it deals with them. And here in this chapter, we have God's response to the people who were struggling, to the people who were questioning his commitment to them. He tells Isaiah to address them in this way, comfort, comfort my people. And this evening I want to think about what God wants his people to hear by way of comfort. These words, they were spoken to a particular people at a particular time in history. But I trust that we shall see that they are for us this evening as well. They are for all God's people throughout all of history. And one of the things that, and we'll touch on this, one of the things that the Lord wants his people to remember as a means of comfort for them is mentioned right there at the start in verse 2. Tell her her iniquity is pardoned. Her iniquity is pardoned. He wants us to remember that if you're a Christian tonight, if you're a believer tonight, your sins have been dealt with. They've been done and dusted. They are gone for good. And is that not the greatest comfort that the believer has? You have received a forgiveness that you did not deserve and could never earn. Your sins are pardoned. So I want to hang our thoughts this evening on this chapter on, on, on three words. 
I would like to talk first of all about consolation. Consolation. And then secondly, say something about proclamation. And then thirdly, we will talk about cancellation. So these three words this evening. Consolation, proclamation, and cancellation. Just before we launch into these, let me just set this chapter in Isaiah into its context. I mentioned already that it's the second half. It begins a new part in Isaiah's prophecy. And and, and the chapter itself, we read the whole chapter, there's a huge amount in it. And if you are trying to guess what, what might the preacher preach on from there, there's a whole myriad of texts that you could take from that chapter. It's, 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 it's a chapter that's filled with, with comfort. And it, and it is the start of the second half of Isaiah, which is very different from the first half. The first half talked a lot about punishment, about judgment. If I just read you from the previous chapter, chapter 39, verse 6. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and all that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. That's a theme of the first half of of Isaiah, a theme of judgment. But then you move into the second half, and there's a complete change of tone in the opening words of, of chapter 40. Punishment before that, and now it's peace. Comfort, comfort, my people. And maybe you've heard this said before, but the book of Isaiah is very much like the Bible in miniature. It's like a miniature version of the whole Bible. So the Bible has 66 books, and Isaiah has 66 chapters. The first half of the Bible, the Old Testament, has 39 books. The first half of Isaiah has 39 chapters. The second half of the Bible, the New Testament, has 27 books. The second half of Isaiah has 27 chapters. The first half of the Bible, the Old Testament, speaks a lot about judgment. The first half of Isaiah speaks a lot about judgment. The second half of the Bible, the New Testament, talks a lot about Jesus. And the second half of Isaiah talks a lot about Jesus as well. So it is very much the Bible in miniature. And even the way the second half of Isaiah opens is very reminiscent of words you'll find at the beginning of the New Testament when the second half of the Bible opens. If, you, if I read you verse 3, chapter 40, verse 3, Isaiah 40, verse 3, A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted and so on. Where are these words familiar from? They're familiar from John the Baptist. They're words you find right at the start of the New Testament. So the second half of Isaiah begins in a similar way to the second half of the Bible, the New Testament. And the second half of Isaiah ends in a similar way to how the New Testament ends as well. They both speak about the new heavens and the new earth. The last three chapters, I think, of Isaiah that's the theme, the new heavens and the new earth. So that's just my way of passing. That might interest you, that might not interest you. You may have heard it before, you may have not. But the book of Isaiah is very much like the Bible in miniature. But we are here in chapter 40. It's a critical chapter in the book. It's a critical chapter in the Bible. It's a chapter that leads us 
to Jesus. And it begins with a summons to comfort God's people and to comfort them particularly with a reminder that their iniquity has been pardoned. Their sins have been forgiven. So let's look then at the first of our three headings this evening. We're going to talk about consolation. Consolation. Comfort, comfort my people, says you'd God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. <clears throat> when, when you and I think about comfort, well, I don't know, but you maybe, maybe you're different, but I think about a cozy house and a comfy city and a roaring fire. That's the kind of things we associate with comforts nowadays. And that's partly why I use the word consolation for this first point rather than Comfort, Of course, comfort wouldn't have rhymed with my other two, proclamation and cancellation. But, but the main reason is that comfort gives us the wrong idea. Consolation, when you think about consolation, I think you imagine someone coming alongside you and maybe putting their arm around your shoulder and saying, it's all going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And that, I think, is the message behind what God is saying here through Isaiah to his people. It's going to be Okay. God wants his people to be consoled. He knows their situation. He knows that Israel, his people were in a difficult place. That they've got a struggle on their hands. That they may well be at a breaking point. And that's why he wants them to hear this message. Because he knows exactly what they need. And he knows exactly what you need this evening. He knows where you're at. He knows what you're going through in your individual lives. He knows where his people are. Because relationship is at the heart of this. You see it there in the opening words. Comfort, comfort. My people says your God. These two words are not about relationship. My people, your God. Now, remember the people we're talking about, the Israelites, they had strayed, they'd, they'd, they'd turned to idols, they'd repeatedly chosen other gods before the Lord. And, and now when, when hardship came, as it always will, where there's idolatry, when hardship came, they're, they're, they're saying God's forgotten us, God's ignoring us, God's rejected us. He, they've concluded that he's abandoned them. But that's not the case. He reminds them and us in this opening line that there's a relationship there. My people, says your God. And he wants them to be comforted, to be consoled. In fact, the tense that's used when this was written, first of all, in Hebrew, it means it's a continual tense. It could be, could be translated uh, this way. Comfort, comfort my people. Your God keeps on saying. This is what he keeps saying. Comfort my people. This is what he wants for you. Comfort for his people. God wants his people to be consoled again and again. And how were they to be consoled? How was that going to happen? There it is in verse 2. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Now Jerusalem was was just a description for the people who belonged there. The, the Lord's people, God's people, they belonged there. They, they were uh, forced out of there into exile. Uh, they had turned their back on him, on God to a large degree. But they're still his people and it's them he wants. He wants them to be comforted by tenderly speaking to them. The, the, 
Speak tenderly really means address the heart. Speak to their hearts. It's interesting that that's how God feels about his people. He wants them to be addressed with a gentle, sympathetic, reassuring tone. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And you know, when we think about our own lives and when we survey our own lives this evening, we're not, we're not all that different to them, are we? We have our own idols. We, like them, are repeatedly unfaithful to God. But the Lord, in all his faithfulness to us, refuses to let us go. He refuses to let us go. Comfort, comfort, my people, says the Lord your God. So that's the first thing this evening. Consolation. God wants his people to be consoled. Then I want to look secondly at, and in a wee bit more detail at proclamation. Proclamation. So what, is, what exactly was the message that God wanted to be spoken, not proclaimed to his people, in order to console them? Well, the answer is given in a few verses. It's as if the prophet is asking, what, what am I to say? What do you want me to say? What do you want me to proclaim? For instance, in verse 6, a voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? He's asking, what do you want me to say? And the answer is given in a few different places in the chapter, but I want to look in particular at verses 10 and 11. What he's told to proclaim in verse 10 and 11. I'm going to read verse 9 as well, because it's the lead up to it. So from verse 9. Go on up to your high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah. So here's the proclamation. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Behold your God. There's a threefold repetition of that. It's there at the last line of verse 9. Behold your God. It's the first line of verse 10. Behold the Lord God comes with might. And there's again in the middle of verse 10. Behold his reward is with him. So this is what he wants proclaimed. Behold your God. But what specifically about God does he want them to behold? What specifically about God does he want them to think about in order that they be comforted, in order that they be consoled? Well, there's two things mentioned in verse 10 and verse 11. The first is his might, and the second is his tenderness. Verse 10, behold, the Lord comes with might, and his arm rules for him. And then in verse 11, his tenderness, he'll tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He'll carry them in his bosom and so on. I want to say a word about both these two descriptions of God. Two truths about God. His might and his tenderness. Because that's what he instructed Isaiah to proclaim in order for his people to be consoled. So let's look at his might first of all. We have this in verse 10. 
Behold, the Lord comes with might, and his arm rules for him. How does proclaiming God's might comfort God's people? How does that happen? Well, God's might is in the Bible is very often mentioned in relation to his redemptive work, in relation to his saving work. His his, his power is used in saving his people. So, for instance, if you if you read the account of taking the uh, Israelites out of taking the Hebrews out of Egypt, you will read very often words like "with a mighty arm" or "with a strong hand." These words, his might, is is mentioned whenever he's saving his people. Or you find it in the Psalms. We sing about his might quite often. Psalm 89: "Thou hast an arm that's full of power." Thy hand is great in might. Or even that psalm that we sing at communion time, very often we sing it as we approach the Lord's table. Psalm 118, the right hand of the mighty Lord doth ever valiantly. The Bible associates his might with his saving work. And God wants his people to be comforted by remembering this fact that he is mighty to save. He's able to save. He's able to save to the uttermost, the Bible says. And that includes you tonight. That includes you. You might be very aware of your own frailty, your own fragility, your own failings. You may be very aware as well of the rebelliousness of your own heart, of the idols that you make for yourself. But you remember this. He is mighty to save. He is mighty to save. So God says through Isaiah, comfort my people by proclaiming my might. He's able to save and he's willing to save. But then I want to talk about his tenderness. So this is the second of the two things that he's called to proclaim. He's called to proclaim God's might. He's called to proclaim God's tenderness. Verse 11, behold the Lord comes. Sorry, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. It's the same mighty arm that is flexed to save his people that is then wrapped around them with loving concern. He will gather the lambs in his arms. And this verse in particular presents us with a beautiful picture of the tender care of the Lord our shepherd. Throughout the Old Testament, God himself is described as the shepherd of his people, the shepherd of Israel. But of course, when we come into the New Testament, there we find Jesus, who, who, who tells us of himself, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. So the first thing we're told here, we're thinking about his tenderness. We're told about his care for the entire flock. He tends his flock like a shepherd. That word tend, it's a very comprehensive term. It, 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 it implies it covers so much. He looks after our every need. He guides us. He provides for us. He cares for us. For the whole of the flock. So that's the first thing that's mentioned. His care, his tenderness towards all of the flock. But then the verse goes on to kind of zoom in, to focus on the sheep in the flock that need particular care. Those who are most vulnerable, the lambs, 
the lambs and then those that are with young. I'll say a little about both. So let me say, first of all, about the lambs. We read here, he'll gather the lambs in his arms and he'll carry them in his bosom. This is a description of the particularly close care the Lord takes of those who are young in the faith. Those who are young in the faith. He carries them close to his heart. Now, I don't know you tonight. I don't know who's been a Christian for a long time and who's not been a Christian for a long time. But he's telling us here that he has a particular care for those who are young in the faith. And maybe if you haven't been a Christian for all that long, you're a target for the enemy. The enemy targets all of us, but he very often, early in our Christian experience, he likes to sow seeds of doubt. He, he'll suggest that you're not going to keep going. You, you can't do this. And he's right in that you can't do it in your own strength. But it's not your own strength you go in. You go relying on him. And he's promising here that he has a particular care and takes a particular care for those who are young in the faith. He's saying to Isaiah, proclaim the tenderness of the Lord who carries the lambs close to his heart. Hudson Taylor, he was a missionary in China and he describes a scenario which is probably familiar to to many of us, a, a, a young child in the first few days at school, uh, and the child wasn't prepared for, for full days in school, and comes home utterly exhausted. And that child, he or she, doesn't know whether, to, whether they want to eat, or whether they want to cry, or whether they want to sleep. And so they just cuddle up on their mother's lap and fall asleep. Because that place it seems safe and secure. Uncomfortable. How much more safe and secure is the place that has been described here? The lambs that the good shepherd carries in his arms, close to his heart. And there's no place more secure than that. Because Jesus himself said in the New Testament, No one can pluck them out of my hand. No one can pluck them out of my hand. And that's not just the lambs, that applies to all of the flock. But there's another description of his tenderness here as well. He gently leads those that have young. That speaks about those who are, who are burdened, those who have extra concerns and extra responsibilities. He gently leads them. The shepherd leads them gently. Growing up in Lewis, eh, most folk had sheep and uh, they were, they were wintered on the moor, away from the houses, away from the crofts, pretty much fending for themselves. And they, weren't, they often weren't taken home until very shortly before lambing time. And, and a chunk of the village would go out to gather them, covering a vast area, maybe gathering for four, five, six hours of the day. And occasionally a sheep would have lambed on the moor. And that sheep and its young were, were never going to keep up with the rest of the flock while they were being driven into the villages. And so the shepherd of that sheep would stay behind. And he would walk that sheep and that lamb slowly and gently at the pace it was capable of until he brought it home. He took the lambs, he took the burden, he took those that were with young at the pace that was appropriate for them. 
And friends, how tender is our shepherd. He deals with us individually according to our need. He's the one who sat with the sinners that others shunned. He's the one who showed mercy to the woman caught in adultery that others wanted to stone. He's the one of whom we read, if you turned over a few pages in your Bible, the one of whom we read, that a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking wick he will not snuff out. How gentle is this shepherd with those who are weighed down or struggling. Tonight, you might be that fragile one. You might be the one who is burdened and bruised and broken. What a saviour we have in Jesus, the good shepherd who tends all of the flock, but who takes particular care of the most vulnerable. Proclamation, then, secondly. What shall I cry, asked the prophet. Proclaim that the Lord is mighty and the Lord is tender. Comfort, comfort my people with these truths. So we considered, first of all, consolation. We've looked there at proclamation. I want to talk finally about cancellation. We're going back to verse 2. To verse 2 where we read these words. Her warfare is ended. Her iniquity is pardoned. So thinking about the original context in which these words were written, they're written to the Jews, they're written concerning the exile. How, were their, how was their iniquity pardoned? How was their sin paid for? Was it because they'd done the time? Was it because they'd been long enough in exile to have paid, to have served their sentence? No. No amount of hard service. No amount of suffering can pay for your sin. The late Professor Janelle Mackay uh, is helpful uh, with regard to these verses. In that he reminds us something that we can often forget as we study Isaiah. That it's a prophecy. He's talking about the future. But Isaiah, he talks about it with such certainty that he always writes it in past tense. You see that specifically in Isaiah 53 where he talks about the suffering servant who is Jesus and everything he's going to go to. He was, he was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers was dumb so he opened not his mouth. He's, he's, he writes in past tense but he's talking about a future event. And so Janelle reminds us that this is talking about a future event as well although it's written in past tense. And he suggests Now we think about it this way. We translate it in our heads this way. Her penalty shall be paid. Rather than her iniquity is pardoned. It's it's so certain. But it is still future. So we should think about it as her penalty shall be paid. The Jews could go free because their sin would yet be paid for. When and where and how. In exactly the same way, in exactly the same place as your sin and mine are paid for. Their iniquity and your iniquity is pardoned at the cross of Calvary. And what Isaiah will later go on to describe in chapter 53 is what brought about that pardon. When he says the Lord makes his life 
an offering for sin. His life would pay the penalty for your sin. It's what we were, if you were here in the morning, it was what we were trying to explain to the children. This all-inclusive package, all the benefits that you receive are because somebody paid for it in advance. That's why Isaiah says, and these must be some of the most wonderful words in Scripture, when he says about speaking about the coming Messiah, speaking about Jesus, he says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him. And by His wounds we are healed. That's the gospel, friends. In all its beauty, him for us. Bearing shame and scoffing root in my place. Condemned he stood. And apart from Christ, there is no hope. There is no peace. In the Old Testament, there were prophets who were proclaiming peace. Who were saying there could be peace. And Jeremiah calls them out. He exposes them. He says, they dress the wound of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, where there is no peace. These people were proclaiming peace by, by just lightly covering over sin. They dress the wound of my people lightly. Whereas the wound of sin needs to be cleaned out. Can't just stick a plaster over it. It needs to be dealt with. And dealt with properly. And that is the greatest comfort that God can speak to any people, to any person, as your sin is dealt with. Your iniquity is pardoned. He wants us to hear that. He wants us to be consoled by it. This fact that your debt has been cancelled. It's gone. It's gone. You know, you often hear, I don't know if you listen to the radio, you often hear adverts for Debt help companies who promise that they can remove your debt. They can cancel your debt. I have no idea if they can or if they can't. But I know that the debt of your sin and of mine can be cancelled. Because the Bible tells me so. I know that Jesus loves me because the Bible tells me so. But how does he show his love for us? He shows it in that he went to the cross in your place and mine. And the Bible tells us that. Colossians 2 says this. God made you alive with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Your debt of sin was cancelled in Christ at the cross. God transferred our sins to Jesus, who was then nailed to the cross in your place. And Jesus discharged that debt by exhausting the penalty that sin demanded. He exhausted the penalty. He took it all. There's nothing more to pay. God is just. He'll never ask for payment twice. So if your sin 
is paid for in Christ. It's gone for good. There's consolation. Horatio Spafford sums it up so beautifully. In the hymn it is well with my soul. When he wrote these words, my sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. So what have we seen then this evening? We looked at consolation. God wants his people to be consoled. He wants you to hear him say tonight, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And then we looked at proclamation. God wants you to hear about both his might and his tenderness. He is mighty to save and he is willing to save as well. And then we looked finally at cancellation. God wants you to know and remember that your sin is paid for once and for all in Jesus Christ. May these truths console God's people tonight they're truths for the Christian if you're not a Christian this evening you cannot really take comfort from this because this is spoken to the people of God but if you're not a Christian tonight you can come to Christ and he will offer and reach out to you with that same tender loving care that mighty arm that will save you and that will carry you in his arms close to his heart comfort, comfort my people says your God let's pray Lord we thank you for your care for us and repeatedly the Bible reminds us of this truth Lord that you love us and you love us so much that you will do anything for us. The Bible says if he gave his own son, nothing else will ever be too much. So help us to believe that. Help us to believe, Lord, that you want what is good, what is best for us. Help us to believe, Lord, that if we put our trust in you, you will never let us go. Go with us, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to finish then singing in Psalm 85, the Scottish Psalter. And we're going to sing from the beginning of the psalm down to the verse marked 7. Psalm 85, verses 1 to 7. O Lord, thou hast been favourable to thy beloved land, and Jacob's captivity thou hast recalled with mighty hand. Let's sing these verses to God's praise.
Now may grace, mercy and peace from Father, Son and Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen.